Hey everybody, uh, it's me Steve, just uh, doing a little outdoor, like walkabout recording while I work on the garden and sort of kind of walk around and talk to myself and you at the same time here and uh, maybe give a bit of a garden update for the greenhouse and what's going on in the garden so far this season. Today it's May 1st. Fighting a bit of a head cold yesterday and today, so this probably isn't going to be an episode that happens to come out today. It'll probably be something I work on for the next couple of days until I am feeling a little closer to 100% and can sit down at my at my desk and actually record and speak for a little while without coughing and breaking down and stuff like that. That's definitely happening right now. So I'm presently, while we're talking, I'm looking at the Turbo Cloner, uh, our Turbo Clone 48 that my friend Travis found for me at a local thrift shop a few weeks ago. And just checking all the plants, I've been posting a few images of the roots systems of the different uh, plants that we've already cloned in this thing. I mean, I'm sitting here inspecting currently beautiful long roots on some tomato cuttings, um, some the beginnings of some beautiful long roots on some basil cuttings. Um, we've rehabilitated two store-bought $2 basil plants, cloned off them several times, and um, by dropping them right in their store-bought um, cups that just so happen to be the right diameter, uh, circumference to fit the turbo cloner. I literally just took them home and dropped them in the turbo cloner in their existing cups and let their miserable rotten brown, um, roots, uh, quickly, uh, slough away, fall off and disappear as the plants quickly sent new, amazing, beautiful roots down into the water of the turbo cloner. Um, we had a lot of success getting rosemary to root in the turbo cloner, but almost all of them, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine of them have died since transplanting to soil, probably due to an unscientific soil mix on my part, maybe too hot, I'm guessing, like more nutrition and stuff like that in the mix than these fresh cuttings probably needed. Two are still hanging on for dear life right now. I don't know if they're going to make it or not. So, but that was an experiment on purpose with the rosemary to first off just threw plants into the turbo cloner the day we got her home and just to see what it was going to do with anything. And um and on the secondary level, we have a big rosemary plant that I do hope to become successful at taking cuttings off of and continually creating fresh new rosemaries. So, while this is um you know, half a failure in the form of me standing here looking at a bunch of dead sticks of rosemary um, cuttings that had been rooted, um, but now have since turned black and and dried out. Um, It's still like half of a success because we wouldn't have put them all in soil if they hadn't all rooted rather nicely. Excuse me. Um, And so we're going to keep working on that. We're going to try that again. We're going to try it again. Um... Likewise, with a couple of the tomato clones that have come back out of the cloner and gone into soil, one or two of them have come out, haven't shocked very much at all, and are 
just stabilizing and trucking right along. Nothing really getting ready to take off to, you know, uh, seriously yet. But um, what I was going to say is a couple of the others are getting eh, a little a little shocky, a little, you know, they're they're having some leaf loss and branch droop after transitioning to the to the soil. Um, so there again, like I, it it would appear that, you know, half the game is getting stuff in the turbo cloner and rooting. And then the other half of the game is successfully transitioning it out of the turbo cloner and into, you know, actual soil. So, you know, we're figuring it out. We're figuring it out as we go. I'm also looking at three different grapes in here right now. A gooseberry plant, a Nanking cherry tree um, seedling, sapling, I guess, sapling. Let's call it a sapling because it's a baby tree. Got something down here called a Josta berry. Um, we have a hazelnut tree, a goji berry, two goji berries that I thought were dead but are actually coming back now. Um, very spindly little, very skinny little stalks of, of a plant there, so... Um, not sure what's going on with them. We'll, we'll find out how those how those are once they manage to take off the gojis. Um, those, you know, you eat them dried like a raisin a lot of times. I don't know how the fresh goji berries are. Um, up here in a tray, I'm looking at a full tray full of kale and broccoli. Then uh, below it, and that's a starter tray. And those are all, they're all smaller than I want them to be by now. Um, we started them from seed. Over a month ago, and they're really only a couple, three inches high, all these kales and broccolis. So we'll see how the, you know, if they're able to catch up and do their thing this season or not. Um, down here below, I have, like, almost a full tray of borage and a couple of, uh, looks like squash or zucchini. Two or three of those that are seeding and getting started, so those will be wonderful. Oh, it looks like a fourth and fifth coming along behind those, a little smaller, so that's good. A couple of things are coming up in this tray that have been slow to start. We definitely used a few older seeds this year, too, just like cycling through our seed bank and, you know, not worrying about it, not worried about our germination rate. We're just throwing stuff down and seeing what comes up. Got another tray over here next to me here. I've got five different chives. Um, well, they're all the same chive, but five chives. Five dill, five sage, five basil. Basil we had to seed twice because the first run didn't actually um, come up at all. Looks like four arugula. One arugula we lost on the way. We got um, three oregano babies, three anise, okay, anisette, anise plants, two cumin. Um, and they don't look like they're the same plant, um, so maybe the seed wasn't you know, exactly what was indicated on that. I think one of them is cumin and one isn't. And then um, two savory plants uh, started, which is a great uh, allspice-type component uh, in your kitchen cooking. So then down below here, continuing around this side of the greenhouse, I have a full tray of tomato plants, probably 40 tomato plants, about half yellow taxis and half uh, green tiger stripe. Uh, tomatoes, both of which have great flavor. The green tiger stripe are closer to a cherry tomato size, and the yellow taxis are a large tomato. Right above them here, I see some cabbage and broccoli again. This tray is only about half full. Again, germ rate might not be where we would 
have hoped it would be at this time. You know, maybe because of a little bit of older seeds, but that's okay. Um, between between what's already come up, between the turbo cloner and what will come out of it, which will still be a few more tomatoes, which will still be some lemon thyme that I've got in there, several basils, and we're not done cloning basil over here, and a couple of the other little things that are in here. And then between all of that and the annual purchasing that Nicole does at the at her school's horticulture program's uh, spring plant sale, we will have a very full garden indeed this coming season. So at present, after I stop recording on this update, I will begin to pull out each of these baby starter trays, and you guys should be doing this as well. If you're gardening right now in Washington, you should already be hardening your plants off and really almost done with the hardening process and getting ready to start putting these plants into the ground. It's May 1st right now, as we said, so we should be past our last hard frost, uh, real risk, as of the end of April, and now uh, moving into the time of year where it should be pretty safe to start to get these babies out and into their beds. But if you've been greenhousing, if you've been in a starter house or a greenhouse of any kind, then these plants are presently UV protected under your roof, okay? They're not really ready for pure, you know, unmitigated sunlight. They need to come out and get sun for a few hours each day, not the whole day. Just a few hours. You bring them out for the best part of the day, give them four or five hours of sunlight, and then move them all back into the greenhouse. And you need to do that for a good couple of weeks before they're really ready to go into the ground and not instantly scorch and lose all that hard work. You've been taking such good care of your plants for the last month or two in your greenhouse. Don't set yourself up for failure by taking those tender babies straight out of the greenhouse and putting them right into your garden, okay? Do yourself the favor. It's hard to be patient. It really is. I understand everybody wants to get their stuff into their beds, get that drip irrigation going, get all sorts of stuff going, but really, you need to make sure the plants are ready to be in the soil and in the sun. So, um, hardening. Look it up as a uh, you know gardening practice. There you'll find tons of information about it out there. But what I just described to you is all you need to know. Take all those babies that you started from seed, put them out in a sunny spot, four or five hours. Don't forget them. Set an alarm for yourself. Come back out. Collect them all up. Give them another spritzing of water, and put them back in the greenhouse. If it's May first right now and you're just starting your hardening. By May 15th, you should be ready to put everything that's not already out there into the garden. All right? All righty. Well, there's a lot more gardening to come this season. This is just a short update. A little over 10 minutes, so we'll call that good for now. I'm looking forward to seeing your guys' gardens. Share them with me on Instagram. Uh, follow me at baked underscore and underscore awake on Instagram. And uh, show me what you're growing. All right, guys. Well, we're going to stitch this together with the rest of a podcast here pretty soon, but I hope you're having a great day. I'll talk to you soon. One of these days, you guys are going to hear me scream when I put the torch to my pop filter by accident because... That day's coming. It's gonna happen. I can't believe it hasn't happened already.
So uh, we're going to go ahead and take a little dab together. I usually shorten, uh, you know, cut out a little bit of the middle of the uh, torch heating process there for you guys. So, you know, I'll make you subjected to a few seconds of it, help you remind yourself that maybe you need to pack a bowl for yourself as well and get ready to chill with me here for another episode of the Baked and Awake podcast. Uh, I do think that the way I am putting this together today for you guys, you should be uh, should have just heard our garden update uh, from a few days back. Um, and I'm going to give you a little update to that update here right now, right after I take this puff. Uh, some Gorilla Glue 4 CO2 oil from work, from my work garden, Weed Plus Tacoma, uh, right there. So just uh, priming the pump for the episode today, right? Try not to get too hot on the mic there for you, sorry. <coughs> so um, not much of an update to the garden update. I would just like to point out that uh, I was sick a couple of weeks ago and uh, when I recorded that and... Uh, we have continued with the hardening process, the hardening off process, bringing plants out in the morning, letting them air out and get the uh, direct sunlight for a goodly portion of the day. Uh, some of the plants, you know, can hang out all day. Uh, others you might want to just do, you know, a few hours worth. And and yes, this stuff is laborious and it's difficult. I get it. If you're, you know, working office hours and working a regular job and, and not some weird hack like me with an unpredictable schedule who can babysit his plants most of the time, I, I get it. It's challenging. But, you know, there's ways to do it. You can put them out on your way out the door and just get, grab them again the minute you come home in the afternoon if that's what you got to do. Uh, maybe a roommate or a, you know, or a kindly neighbor who wants to get some tomatoes later in the season might even help you out with just, you know, for a few days here, right before you start bringing out all your babies and um, exposing them to the sun. But my point was, is that window's closing here in zone eight. It's time to get your stuff out in the yard. If you've got a bunch of starts somewhere in your uh, propagation area uh, or in your baby greenhouse, uh probably start, you know, time to start considering moving stuff out. If it's, uh, you know, still too small, then it, you know, you put them out maybe and hope for the best. Uh, frost should be pretty much over with by now. So, um, and, uh, if they're going to take a little burn, they're going to take a little burn, but they're probably going to bounce back and, uh, you know, get going. We want to get those roots in the ground and making friends with the microbes in the, in the soil, in your beds that you've hopefully been working hard to prepare for the season ahead. So, um, Loving the garden as always, and while we're not even remotely close to gardening experts, I would love to hear from you if you have questions or want to exchange tips, uh, best practices and things with me, or just, you know, literally just chew the fat gardening-wise. It's a funny metaphor to apply to gardening, chewing the fat. That was weird. That was probably the weed. Speaking of weed, if this is your first visit to the Baked and Wake podcast, first off, welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, I like to let people know at the top of the show that, yes, we do smoke weed on the show. You just you just found that out, didn't you? Ha-ha. Gotcha. 
Oh, I did it again. I'm really great at that. Everybody, too, that's another uh, thing that uh, veteran listeners will tell you. I like to bang the mic boom, ah, usually once an episode. Sometimes I edit it out for you. Sometimes I don't. I'll probably leave that one in for you today. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, last thing on, on gardening, or really this is kind of a uh, connector to everything. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me and talk about any topic, be it gardening or uh, be it the plant uh, or uh, a cool friend or conspiracy topic that you'd like to hear me talk about on the show, you know, uh, or look into, uh, you can email me anytime. Uh, the email address is talk to us at bakedinawake.com. And of course, that means that you can visit the domain bakedinawake.com, www.bakedinawake.com anytime. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, you can find the merch there if you're trying to support the show in, in some way and want to wear a t-shirt or have a cool sticker or like a mug or or anything like that um that's t public powered right now and uh it's kind of cool because like i ordered a couple things last week and i don't know if somebody else bought something or not because i was a little surprised because i actually got like a deposit from t public the other day for like 18 dollars or something like that and change and i was like woo t public working for me um it's probably all me my own stuff that i bought you know, like my, my artist kickback, so to speak. But uh, check it out sometime and uh, email me anytime. Uh, I'm not an expert on, you know, gardening, uh, but I'd love to talk gardening with you. Uh, I can't give you, you know, specific health advice or really tell you what brands or who to work with or who not to work with with anything in, in cannabis super specifically. But, um, you know, a lot of people and especially like family and friends approach me and ask me about, you know, trying CBD for the first time, other things like that, because obviously that's a very popular topic these days. And uh, so am I available as a resource to talk to about that? Heck yeah, please, by all means, email me, say hello. Um, uh, I'd, I'll do anything I can for you. So that's just an open invitation. So yeah, and that's about it. You know, you're gonna. That's that's the welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Uh, yeah, you can review it. Yeah, you can find a Patreon somewhere out there. Uh, you can find a lot of that stuff all in my show notes for every episode as well. And I'll try to continue to improve the quality of show notes on different platforms. If you're experiencing broken show notes or missing show notes on episodes, there again, good opportunity to email me and let me know because then I can look at that platform. I know sometimes on YouTube my links do work and other times they don't. And usually my formatting in terms of like cleanliness, in terms of appearance of the text when I upload it to my original host and it's usually preserved on, on my hosted page doesn't always look the same everywhere else. So uh, let me know. Um, let me pull up some notes here. Sure looks like we know we're recording at this point and I've got my rest of our topics for the week so there's a really great website that I want to point you guys at and without spending in another you know another entire episode today on the subject of Grand Tartaria 
uh, the subject of the mud flood, all of which I've been endlessly obsessing over and that hasn't lessened much in recent weeks at all. Um, but I'm looking forward to some future content coming up where we will go back in for a whole episodes where I'm hoping to have a call-in guest or two, um, or maybe a, a one sit-in guest, I hope, um, who's a local guy. And I got some field trips planned uh, around, you know, finding local history in, in the wider area that supports this interesting, you know, uh, potential history for the region. Um, you know, serious revision of, of history, in a sense, uh, if it were if it were true or accurate at all. Anybody who's totally like, what the hell is he talking about? He only took one dab. Scroll down in your app, look back a few episodes back, starting in early December, I want to say. You'll see the Mud Flood Deception and Grand Tartaria, and there's a couple of follow-up episodes to that. But, uh... I do want to spend a few minutes here reacquainting everyone with StolenHistory.org. And this is a website that was probably one of the first resources I found, I want to say, through Reddit originally. Right? So I'm going to look for the original thread here. Well, yeah, so you're not going to find anything on Mud Flu. So this is a thread written by, I want to say, the person who, one of the people who founded this forum, the StolenHistory.org forum, if I remember when I joined, they have an about post that like welcomes you, and you'll figure this out when you go and check out this resource. You know, this is this person's attempt to bring the information together bring people together to research it and to discuss it with one another and to, you know, also discuss a number of other topics, both related and seemingly, you know, independent of it. Although, as I have said over and over again, I feel like this topic ties into almost everything that, you know, we're currently worried about in like modern society history-wise in terms of momentous events and, and world-shaping events. Um, let's see here. I want to say in the forums they have the, all right, the top viewed, boom, Tartary, an empire hidden in history. It was bigger than Russia once. So I'm not only going to include stolenhistory.org's link in the show notes. I just told it to you. But I'll also include the link to this thread. And this will be a thread that, you know, I'm just going to read the, the lightest of highlights from the beginning of this thread. We're not going to go into it. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm pointing those of you who have expressed uh, cautious uh, curiosity but skepticism in the topic. Um, and who, you know, maybe even have watched the videos that I've done on YouTube uh, about you know, walking around in the local area looking for uh, some evidence of the, the mud flood in, you know, not just the Denny Regrade area um, and not just the Pioneer Square area. We've got some uh, photographic evidence and some brief uh, video evidence of uh, some uh, some towns in the wider areas uh, and a lot more of that to come. 
but this is something that was posted just like in 2018 and I don't think this was his first and only post about this and I think this may have started on Reddit and then become its own thing afterwards you know and that maybe is a bigger story that I could get into in time for us if we wanted to like to find out what the real history of stolen history you know is and if it's all just this dude but the admin here goes by Corbin Dallas, which if I'm not mistaken, you know, he shows the Bruce Willis character from The Fifth Element. So he's making obvious reference to that sci-fi character um, with his with his online identity here. And that's all I think I know him as on Reddit either, if he's referred to as anybody or the same person there. Um, they, they start out with a really great quote from Encyclopedia Britannica, which a lot of the people who speak on this topic refer back vaguely to Encyclopedia Britannica, talking about Tartary uh, early on in its in its existence, um, but doing so in you know in the Britannica you know authoritative fashion. Uh, it was already early on in its in its life, you know, an important uh, seeming book and being comparatively widely you know circulated and referred to as a you know sort of arbiter of and and uh, and uh, you know dispatcher of wisdom right uh, this is the 1771 version here and page 887 where they say quote Tartary a vast country in the northern parts of Asia founded by Siberia on the north and west this is called great Tartary the Tartars who lie south of Muscovy and Siberia are those of Astrakhan, Syracasia, and Dagestan, situated northwest of the Caspian Sea. The Kalmyk Tartars who lie between Siberia and the Caspian Sea. The Uzbek Tartars and Mughals who lie north of Persia and India. And lastly, those of Tibet who lie northwest of China. So that's written in plain text above the quote that they show it there in typical, you know, cramped double column uh, encyclopedic style with a lot of, you know, serif font and italics and shit. So they cleaned it up for us so we could actually read it. Right below that, they show one of the, one of the, big popular maps that they refer us to. Uh, he contrasts that Britannic entry with a very, very sparse Wikipedia entry uh, that really seems to diminish the importance of Tartary. Wikipedia, of course, I need explain to no one uh, that it has certainly replaced and become the de facto 21st century Britannica even though I'm sure Britannica would loudly decry such a ludicrous claim on my part uh, were they to ever hear this podcast and probably even send me a sternly worded letter. Uh, but uh, the Wikipedia quote tells us, Tartary, in parentheses Latin, Tartaria, or Great Tartary, again in parentheses Latin, Tartaria Magna, really helpful, was a name used from the Middle Ages until the 20th century to designate 
the great tract of northern and central Asia, stretching from the Caspian Sea and the Ural Mountains to the Pacific Ocean. Settled mostly by Turco-Mongol peoples after the Mongol invasion and the subsequent Turkic migrations. So, this uh, thread also ties in a, a sort of perspective giver right up top. And, and we'll move on after this because I want you guys to read this thread, those of you who are curious enough, and, you know, get back to me with your questions about it. Um, they point out Tartary was not a great tract. It was a country. And to add some credibility, in parentheses, or to take away some to the story, below you can find an excerpt from the CIA document declassified in 1998 and created in 1957. The quote says, some of you may have heard this before, it may sound familiar to you. I'll explain why in a moment. Or let us take the matter of history, which, along with religion, language, and literature, constitute the core of a people's cultural heritage. Here again, the communists have interfered in a shameless manner. For example, on 9 August 1944, the Central Committee of the Communist Party, sitting in Moscow, issued a directive ordering the party's Tartar Provincial Committee to, quote, proceed to a scientific revision of the history of Tartaria to liquidate serious shortcomings and mistakes of a nationalistic character committed by individual writers and historians in dealing with Tartar history. In other words, Tartar history was to be rewritten, let us be frank, was to be falsified, in order to eliminate references to great Russian aggressions and to hide the facts of the real course of Tartar-Russian relations. And this was no isolated case. In every Muslim area within the USSR, historians, on orders of the Communist Party, have rewritten history to distort the facts so that the Russians appear always in a good light. Needless to say, histories which present the facts truthfully have been withdrawn and destroyed so that the present and future generations of Muslims are forever denied the chance of learning the true facts of their nation's past. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you will know that a couple episodes back, I was graced with a visit from my friend Christops from the Eastern Border podcast, uh, who, upon already having embarked on a couple of field excursions with me in the local area here on his recent visit to the uh, United States and to the Pacific Northwest uh, specifically, uh, he recorded an episode with me where he read the entirety of the nat National Cultural Development Under Communism CIA report, and then we recorded some commentary on sort of our impressions of that entire larger document. Really interesting doc. Uh, it's not all entirely uh, uh, expressly about Tartaria at all, um, 
but uh, one that also I urge you to go back and check out. I think there uh, some of our better episodes and and work, and it's a fascinating document. The CIA Reading Room is a fascinating resource for investigation into fringe topics, and that's one that I'll also include uh, in the show notes for you this week. Um, Yeah, so the thread is really comprehensive, and it predates our content on this uh, by a good bit. This was April of last year, and I started reporting, you know, and reporting, (laughs) talking to you guys about this in in December of last year. Uh, And and I want to say this, this fellow has been doing this research for a little bit longer than the, like I said, this uh, version of this thread. Um, he goes on to share a lot of images of the cons, okay, and uh, talk about that side of the story. Uh, then he goes into the cover-up and talks about and shows a progression of, and I mean, I'm talking like 6, 18, about 20 maps at minimum, um, and some map index and uh, you know, table of contents type uh, info pages that support this sort of gradual, slow simplification and reduction of Tartaria and representation over time, you know, coming from deep time up into modern time. So, you know, he shows the flags, he shows the culture. It's all here. It's all here. This is your. Not only – then he has a, a, a bibliography of books for you to look into. We're talking at least 20 books, um, none of which I've vetted yet. There's some – you know, these are uh, – a number of them look like historical books, you know, perhaps vintage books. These may be available as open source type downloads. Yep like archive.org see so we're in on on at least some of these on in the bibliography so it's a really comprehensive and really well put together thread on this and then there's some great comments below an interaction from members of the forum with uh corbin dallas so this is a place where i'm you know asking those of you who have some uh some love for this topic with me to Take up the torch, take a peek, look under the hood, click a few of those links, look at a few of these maps, look at a few of these flags, you know, go back and listen to one of my earlier episodes on it. Um, You know, by the way, pro tip, I've said this before, I'll say it again, I do it all the time with other people's podcasts too, and it's not a knock on anybody who I listen to and who I love. If you need to, listen to me at 1.5x, listen to me at... 2x if you got to turn me into alvin and the chipmunks if you know you need to scrub through the you know bsing at the top of the episode or me telling you for the 400th time that i smoke weed on the show right if you're already listening to the show and you know that you just roll on past it and wait until you start hearing what you want to hear and then you can slow me back down to like 1.25 right and then i just sound like i had a cup of coffee and i'm really super organized and peppy and ready to go and I'm telling you a story that you want to hear and that you want to get through because you got a lot of shit to do because you're very busy and you probably listen to 10 other podcasts <laughs> 10 podcasts Steve you probably listen to 50 podcasts right you guys are awesome though so 
That was, that was my pro tip you probably like. What are you telling us about the button for, Steve? That wasn't for you, okay? It was for new people, okay? There are newer podcast listeners, and maybe even I'm running into or helping one or two of them somehow, accidentally. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, all right, back to it. Where's my notes? They went away. There they are. They're back. All right, so that's the stolenhistory.org thread. The title of the thread, once again, was Tartary, an empire hidden in history. It was bigger than Russia once. I wanted to also wrap it up here today for you guys with a quick, well, a quick, yeah, quick, a quick, yeah, because you know, we don't need to do much. This is because this is going to be fun, though, because uh, I already said this last time on this one. This is an update on liminal Seattle. And Liminal Seattle is a really cool um, internet phenomenon, a crowdsourced map of the weird. Started as Liminal Seattle, and it is now called Liminal Earth because it's such a cool idea that people wanted to have their own liminal maps. You know, uh, I think that's a play on subliminal, right? Okay. Uh, this being perhaps perceptible as opposed to like something that would slip by us, um, maybe even having had its effect, but uh, nevertheless not being recognized and experienced, uh, you know, in real time in any kind of way. So I did an episode on this last year. I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes, and I didn't do the whole episode on it. It was like one topic in the episode. When it was first called Liminal Seattle, I think I submitted, I've submitted two or three different um, submissions to the map for the local area by now. Uh, and you can, you know, if you saw a cryptid, you can report that. Cryptids are, of course, your, you know, Bigfoots and Chupacabras and Mothmans and things like that, right, depending on where you are. You can report ghosts and eerie, creepy-feeling areas. You know, haunted sites, so to speak. Uh, you could certainly report historical, you know, weird stories and interesting stories, and especially if it's, you know, a little on the macabre side uh, and you don't see it on your local liminal map. Uh, and I don't know how to make your own if you're in an area where there doesn't seem to be any liminal Earth entries yet. Maybe the new map is just powered by Google Earth and, you know, it's just that wide. Um, maybe some of you guys can test that for me and help me out there because it feels like whenever I go to the site, I'm, I just click into my region and start going from there. <clears throat> but I think you get the idea. Let's let's open their page because then before I you know walk off the topic I'll, I'll just briefly I just joined their Patreon for like a dollar a month to help them do what they're getting ready to do which is like their own whole podcast about this. So here's what's cool about Liminal. These are how they categorize the the sites and and they they first off characterize themselves itself as a map of the strange wonderful unusual and unexpected and that's a lot nicer than what i've said already right um but 
what what they've got is uh, sightings, and these seem to map really closely to the type of categories that they give you as drop-down choices when, like, filling out the sort of like a guided content form, you know, where you get to add a site to the map or submit one for approval. They start with high weirdness, straight-up ghosts, strange animals, right? AKA maybe cryptids, right? Thin places. Uh, and, uh, and actually, so like for strange animals, like we have like crazy crow sightings here in the Pacific Northwest in addition to your usual uh, Sasquatch sightings and things like that. Thin places, right? So that's a good one. Thin places. Scary. Dark forces. That's another category. Then time distortions. Mythologies, all right. So we got a lot of Northwest mythologies there again. This is the started up here. I'm looking at the national map, and I don't see a lot of activity over in New York. Okay, so here's a call out for any of my listeners in different areas. New York looks pretty quiet. Washington D.C. looks really quiet. There's some entries in Florida, but only North Florida. Um, I see some right above Florida. So what is that like Georgia over there? Um, but uh, Houston and Dallas both look like total deserts for reporting. Chicago looks like it might have something. Maybe. No, no, no. It's way south of Chicago. So, I mean, if you look at the national map, you can see there's a lot of empty spaces. Nashville doesn't have any. That's bullshit. I know you guys are haunted over there in Nashville. I know you're haunted over there in Charlotte. New Orleans, are you kidding me? There's no no entries down there. You guys need to get to work. Um, but let's see where we do see some cool stuff besides the Pacific Northwest Salt Lake City. Yeah. Provo. Okay. I like that. I like that. I'm not going to tell you what's there. You can go find it yourself. Vegas has a couple of entries. California has a few. Good, 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 good. So, yeah. What is liminal map? I'll read this little description for you, and then we'll, we'll you know, you can head on, head on over to liminal, L-I-M-I-N-A-L dot earth uh, sometime and check it out yourself. Uh, I, I wanted to remind everybody of it today because it has expanded to like a global thing, uh, at least in terms of vision. And I really like the vision. And I plan to like visit a number of the sites on the local map in the Western Washington corridor and maybe Oregon corridor and you know who knows where else in time. Uh, and it would be really neat to see this map become much more populated with interesting cool liminal locations spooky things happen every day all around us instead of brushing these particular moments and bizarre encounters off as chance or mere coincidence what if we talked about them mapped them and tried to decode the message is there a specific place where you've seen fairies ghosts Bigfoot, time travelers, extraterrestrials, ultra-terrestrials, 
crow conferences. That's so funny. I mentioned the crow specifically. Sentient lawn computers. Maybe I read this before. Probably. Let's, let's say that. Lanyarded ogres. Broccoli wizards. I don't know what a broccoli wizard is, but that's funny. Etc. Does your town have an urban legend you'd love to get to the bottom of? Send us your story, and we might include it on our map. Liminal.earth forward slash submit. So, Liminal folks, if you, any of you folks hear that, consider this. My little humble service as a new patron to remind everybody about the Liminal map and to check it out. And for my listeners to look forward, uh, I hope to going on a couple of field trips with me, at least vicariously. I mean, the the Seattle map, the Washington map, excuse me, is super rich. I mean, target-rich environment, put it that way. There's uh, hundreds of entries in the, you know, Seattle to Tacoma corridor and dozens outside of it in the wider part of the state. So, uh, and I'm sure that's going to quickly be covered completely. So... Check it out sometime. I think it's super fun, and I hope you do too. All right, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it there for once. Uh, I'm gonna send you off with a moment of Zen, a uh, little bird song. So if you're not into uh, little morning birds, uh, these are the birds outside our home uh, in the morning here. And you know, casual bird listeners may definitely. Here's something they recognize. Uh, that would be fun if you are a bird watcher uh, and have that knack and want to identify any of the birds that you're hearing now, then that would be so rad. Email me. And once again, talk to us at bakedinawake.com. All right. I'll call it there. And meanwhile, just dangle in front of you the prospect of what I'm planning on bringing to you next episode as sort of the core story of the of the show and that's going to be um, five fringe topic speakers who aren't white and who will shake your worldview if you let them so uh, get ready for that one gird your loins um I just want to introduce, you know, a few of you to a few new people and let you take it from there. And then we'll see if any of that needs to be addressed in more detail. Mm. All right, and that really is it. I think we'll, we came in with a dab, let's go out with a dab and those birds, huh? We'll do that together and... You guys get out in that garden. Be good to your families. Happy birthday to my beautiful wife, Nicole, on this very day, the 16th of June, May. <laughs> do we need another dab, Steve? Oh, yeah, we do. I love you, Petunia. And I love you guys, too. Ha, 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 ha.
There's another head clonker for you. Let's see if we can light this uh, spittle guard on fire. Smoke some indica and do shit anyway.